Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. It's a good morning. It is a good morning. (laughs) Despite technical issues. Uh, yes, we don't know what's next, do we? I've always said you don't know what a day's going to hold, you don't know what a minute's going to hold. At one, at one moment, you're amplified, at the next, you're not. But it's a great morning regardless. You know, we have a class to confirm this morning. I'm looking forward to it, especially after what I've heard has been happening in their lives, their lives being transformed. And it's great, it's wonderful. They, they've all really made testimony six months ago. They had no clue what was next. And we're talking about what's next. And I'm so glad to hear that they have talked about being enlightened and inspired and that uh, they've now developed this great sense of community and they've been baptized. They washed feet like Jesus Christ did. And they have experienced growth in their faith in Jesus Christ. And that is what we want to be preeminent. And this morning we are going to pray that that faith stays firm and it gets rooted. And that's what a prayer of confirmation is about. We're looking forward to that this morning. We're looking forward to uh, praying over each one of these and asking the Holy Spirit to just do a great, great work. So class, regardless of what is next in your life, we are going to pray that no matter what it is, whether it's the highest possible thing or whether, you know, maybe there will be a test or a trial or some of the things that even we heard Nicole talk about. We all experience these kinds of things, but whatever it is, that you stay strong in your relationship with Jesus Christ. But before we get to that time of prayer, I've got a brief word to bring you from God's word. And it is about what's next. We have been talking about what's next. We began last week with the first signs or the first of the signs through which uh, Jesus revealed his glory. That's in the second chapter of John's gospel. It was about this great work that Jesus did when he went to a wedding in the town of Cana and he turned these big jugs, these big stone jugs of water, he turned them into the best of wine. I can only imagine that his disciples must have wondered what sign was going to come next. And many, many signs followed. As Jesus preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. He delivered people from their infirmities. He He cleansed them from demonic possession. He healed the lame. Uh, He gave sight to the blind. He opened uh, the ears of the deaf. He cleansed the skin of those who were suffering with the scourge of leprosy. And I can see his followers just wondering and marveling. What more can he do? What is next? The sign that I want to take a look at this morning and consider... I don't think any of his followers even considered it. They didn't dream it up. Jesus actually gave uh, some of them the opportunity to verbalize it. Had it been in their mind, I'm thinking they would have actually said something, but they didn't. 
It was truly a miracle of our God. And the miracle we're going to talk about, it's only one of the signs that Jesus performed, but it is the one that's mentioned in all four Gospels. It's the only sign, the only miracle of Jesus mentioned in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So it's one of the great and preeminent miracles of Jesus Christ, and one I think we should talk about a little bit. And I'm going to uh, read from the Gospel of John. I'll give you the account from John's Gospel. It's in chapter 6, and if you have your Bible, uh, you can open up to John's chapter 6. But this account of Jesus is also in Matthew chapter 14. It's also in Mark chapter 6, and it's in Luke chapter 9. And there's more details to it, and that's the great thing. If we read all four of the Gospels, we really get a complete picture. I want to briefly set the stage before I read from John's Gospel. Jesus is in the northern regions of Judea. He's in the area of Galilee, up near uh, the Sea of Galilee. A great, great crowd of people was following Jesus because he had been healing the sick. So people began to follow after him. And then he went up onto a mountainside. He went up onto a mountainside with his disciples. He was a good distance from any towns or villages around. And now I want to pick up the account in John chapter 6. This is verses 5 through 15. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. We talked a little bit about that last week. Jesus in control. Jesus already had in mind what to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and they filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him a king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Now, I want to add just a brief postscript to this account. Later in John chapter 6, that evening, Jesus and his disciples, they made their way to the other side of the lake. We read there that those people wanted to force Jesus to be a king. He wasn't there to be their earthly king. So he and his disciples In the evening time, they made their way to the opposite side of the lake. The next day, the crowds were searching for him, and they found him. I just want to share a couple verses from later in John's uh, chapter 6, verses 26, 27, and 35. Jesus answered because they had been looking for him and asked, you know, where, why did you leave? And he said, very truly, I tell you, 
You are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal, eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So this is a great account of a powerful miracle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He took some meager rations and he turned them into a feast for what we read about says 5,000 men. If we consider that maybe there were women and children, this was a crowd of thousands and thousands of people. And when Jesus fed the multitude, nobody dreamed he could do such a thing. He asked Philip, hey, Philip, where are we going to get bread for this great multitude of people? And it was a test. We did talk a little bit about it last week. And where was Philip going to go with this question? How was he going to respond? Is he going to say, Lord, I've seen you do so many great things. Lord, I witnessed you turn 120 gallons of just water into the best of wine. I've watched you cure leprosy, and I've seen you make the lame to walk and the blind to see. Lord, you can do anything. No, that is not how Philip answered. No, he's thinking about, how are we going to pay a caterer to come out here? We don't have enough money. You know, this is going to take a few, uh, it's going to take at least a year's wages, maybe more. That's just going to get us a little bit for these people. So Jesus moves on to Andrew. And what does Andrew say? He says, hey, found a young man here, found a boy. He has five loaves and two fish. Now, did Andrew say, hey, Jesus, this is all you need because I've seen you do great things. I saw you work with water and I've seen you uh, heal people and I've seen you cast out demons. You don't really need anything, but here's just a little morsel to start with. No, Andrew doesn't say anything like that. He says, how far will this little bit go among so many people? So neither of these guys, these were early followers of Jesus. Neither of them expressed anything. So Jesus takes over and he gives some instruction. Have the people sit down. In the other gospel accounts, if you read them, we, we discover that Jesus not only has the people sit down, but he says, put them in groups. Put them in groups of 50, put them in groups of 100, have them sit down in an orderly fashion, small, manageable groups. What was Jesus doing here? Think about this. Think about there's, a, there's thousands of people. They all want something. And in the, the, this case that we're talking about, they're hungry. And they may even be a little bit hangry. You know, when I'm hungry, I get a little angry sometimes. You know, I get a little moody. I get cranky. I'll admit it. So I say sometimes I get hangry. 
Now, picture thousands of people. They've been following Jesus, climbing a mountain. They might be getting a little cranky. They haven't had much to eat. And imagine some of them are starting to talk about it. Oh, you hear that rumbling? Oh, yeah. Got a little rumbly in the tumbly. Yeah, come on. Oh, anybody got anything? They're milling about. They're walking around. They're trying to find the best place that they can see Jesus. And then somebody yells out, hey, hey, this kid over here, he's got some food. Now, what do you think is going to happen? Imagine the potential pandemonium. A picture for a moment at Walmart on Black Friday at 4 o'clock in the morning. There are people milling around out there, hundreds of them, right? And they want something inside. And then they open the doors. What a curse. You've all seen the videos. I'm sure you've checked out the YouTube videos of just pandemonium. People pushing and shoving and knocking each other down. Hundreds of people, they all want what's over there. Now, I have a similar story. I've experienced this. No, I'm not a Black Friday shopper. I would rather just take my weekend and thank the Lord. It's Thanksgiving after all. I've got plenty of time to shop. But I had this occur to me. I was just a child. I was just a little guy. Maybe like the boy in the, in the narrative here, I don't know. I was seven years old, maybe eight. I don't know, first grade, second grade. And uh, my mother took me to a municipal park for an egg hunt. All kinds of kids were there, and they lined them up at the opening of the park. The only trouble was the opening there was, it was a little smaller than a crowd of kids. And I was kind of up front on one of the sides. I remember being near a fence, and they're, you know, holding us all back with a little ribbon, and I saw my egg. I could see my egg out on the grass. I saw it. I had my eyeball on my egg. That was going to be my egg. And then they dropped a rope, right? And it was time to go. Well, bedlam ensued. I mean, I'm just a little guy. I start running for my egg. And the next thing I know, face plant. I am on the grass, facing the grass. Feet are hitting my back. I am getting stepped on by kids. I'm getting trampled and run over. And by the time all these kids get through, I pick myself up. My egg is gone. I don't even remember getting an egg. I was trampled. And, and it's marred me for life. <laughs> now listen, on Good Friday, we have a 13,000 egg, egg hunt here for the kids. It's a safe egg hunt. Okay, we don't put them through a little funnel so that they get trampled. Okay, it's going to be wide open. You can send your first graders and second graders. They're going to be safe. This isn't going to be like some crowd where pandemonium could ensue when somebody says, hey, there is some food. So Jesus, he was taking control, and he gets order first. Set these people down. Set them down. Get them in groups. Get them sitting. No chaos. No disorder. Our God is an orderly God. And what can we learn from this? Class, what can we take away from this? And I want to talk to the class, but I also want to talk to all of you because I think we can all learn something from this. First of all, we need to get settled. 
before we're fed the bread of life from Jesus. But so often we're distracted by the chaos of life. I mean, we have our eye on our egg. You know, we have some other goal in mind. When we heard Nicole standing up here talking about how she had her own, uh, her own plan and her own ideas and way, and it kind of fell apart until she developed this relationship with Jesus Christ. We need to get settled. If we're going to be taught by the master, if we're going to be fed by him, so that we're not running around and metaphorically trampling one another, chasing after a teaching here, or going after some person over there who has a better doctrine. We need to settle. We need to get still and then take in the bread of life that Jesus has to offer. And what is that bread of life but his word? Remember that it was Jesus when he was being tempted by the devil. He said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's how we live. We live by his word. His word is life. And we have a simple saying around here. Know the word, live the word, spread the word. The word, the bread of life. To know it, we need to be settled and calm and prepared before our God to be fed to the full. Allow that word to digest and get into our heart so that we can live it out and then take up any leftovers and spread that word to others. These leftovers in this in this account, they're a picture to us of an overabundance of what we have received. Our God gave us more than we needed so that we can advance it forward, so that we can share it with others, so that we can put it in their lives. We can't be running around to and fro, distracted and diverted. Rather, we need to sit down and be alert and be focused. And that's a picture here that's coming through as Jesus performs this miracle. He gives us this great picture of sitting and settling. And I wish they would have done that when I was seven years old. Sit down. All right, take your turns to go get your eggs. Would have been a lot better. In the other accounts, Jesus said, set these people by fifties and by hundreds. And I see another picture in in that. I see an image in that. And to me, it's an image of the church, the church universal. And the church universal made up by different local bodies, different groups. Some groups are smaller, some groups are larger, but we're all called to be part of that great universal church and be part of a local body, a local church. So we need to be part of a group. We need to be part of a local church. We're not supposed to forsake the gathering uh, together as an assembly of believers. No, we're supposed to desire that, not to be loners, not to be islands, not to be independent and be our own self-navigators. No, we need guidance and we need spiritual leadership. And Jesus presents this picture of groups coming together in unity, at peace, and they have a common purpose. And what's their common purpose but to be fed? but to be fed. 
And the group sits together and they take in a meal. They take in a meal that Jesus has to offer. And to me, that's a picture of a local church setting where we receive our main meals. It's where we take in our primary nourishment. When we're all sitting together and we're united and we're at peace and we're not chaotic and bedlam, we're together to take in that same meal together. And it's important. It's an important part of the body of Christ, to be part of a local community where we help one another, where we encourage one another. We heard in this video about these small groups where one of the, uh, one of the impacts was, Scott mentioned it, he said, you know, we, we worked together, we taught each other, we shared things. You know, under, under the guidance of a group leader, they had a discussion and they helped build each other up. That's part of being uh, in a, a, a local church community where you're fed the bread of life together. So class gets settled. Commit to a local church. And I want to consider next one of the seemingly insignificant characters in this account that Jesus uh, presented to us through all four Gospels. And that's this little boy, he's not mentioned in all four Gospels. He actually seems almost like a little side note. I see uh, Philip and Andrew, and they're perplexed. You know, what is Jesus talking about? How, why is he asking us about all this food or how we're going to feed these people? Why doesn't he just send them away? But then this little guy comes into the picture. This little boy. And what's next? What is going to happen? They couldn't have guessed what was going to happen. This boy who was only briefly mentioned, he had something. He had something that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was going to use. So his appearance in this account is critical. It's very important, and we can learn from it. First, what I see in this boy is that he is willing to be used by Jesus. And we need to be willing to be used. The boy didn't protest. We don't read that the boy turned and ran away or said, no, 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 this is all I have. You can't have it. He wasn't like Andrew saying, oh, Jesus, you really can't use me. I don't have anything to offer. Really, what do I have? I have nothing that can go very far at all. No, we don't read anything like that. The boy didn't protest. He was willing to be used by the Son of God, even though he was just a boy, even though he had very little to offer. It was Paul the Apostle who wrote, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. Now, how much more foolish, how much more weak could it be that Jesus is selecting to use this little child? He's just a, a little boy. But he was instrumental. Instrumental in the only miracle of Jesus Christ that's mentioned in all four Gospels. It was just a boy who took part in this great, great miracle of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It wasn't a caravan of noblemen who showed up with all kinds of provisions of food where Jesus said, hey, well, let's use that. No, 
simple, simple little boy. He's got a small little bag with him or a little basket. He didn't turn and run away in unbelief. He didn't think his stature was too insignificant to be used by Jesus. I believe that this little boy's faith was greater than the grown men around him, greater than Philip who was thinking about how could we pay for this food bill, greater than Andrew who thought, oh, it's just a meager little pittance there. It's not going to go very far at all. But the boy presented himself to Jesus. And we were singing about that this morning at the open. Like a child who bears your name. This is the attitude of heart that we should have. Faith like a child. Faith like a child. Have that faith to not think, I'm just too insignificant. If we call ourselves Christians, don't ever think that you're too insignificant to be used by Jesus Christ for something that he would have you to do. God can use you. God can use you no matter your education or your background. It doesn't matter your gender or your station in life. God can use you. It doesn't matter who your parents were. It doesn't matter where you were born or what country you come from. I don't care what color skin you have because Jesus Christ doesn't care about that either. It doesn't matter the language that you speak. Present yourself to Jesus Christ with the faith of a child sincerely, genuinely, and be willing, and he will use you. He will. Nicole was standing up here talking about a relationship, you know, discovering. I learned a lot of things, but it was this relational aspect of God that really changed things. And I gave my life over to him. She stood up here to testify that. And it's this relationship with Jesus that's developed by just simply presenting ourselves to him like that little boy did. And he'll feed you. And then offer what you have. Offer what you have. And like I said, it doesn't matter what you have. This little boy, despite his youth, despite his lack of stature or education or his station in life, he had something to offer to Jesus Christ, and the Lord used it. He only had loaves of barley bread. Barley bread was the the least of the breads. It was the bottom of the barrel bread. It was called poor man's bread because it was made from the least of the expensive grains. It was kind of crunchy and and nutty. It wasn't a smooth bread. So this wasn't some rich kid born with a silver spoon in his mouth that, that came to Jesus. No, this is more like an underprivileged little boy. He, He comes with poor man's bread, but he gives the poor man's bread to Jesus and it becomes life giving bread. Well, Jesus began his ministry, quoting Isaiah chapter 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Now, what better way to proclaim the good news to the poor? What better way to feed the poor than with the poor man's bread turned into the bread of life? And that's what Jesus did. Because this little guy had something to offer. 
everyone has something to offer. Like the little guy in the text, you have something to offer to the Lord. Be willing to do that. Be willing to give him what you have. With his added blessing, with the added blessing of Jesus, it can go farther than we ever imagined. It could bless another person. It could feed another person. It could feed a multitude of people. Everyone has something to offer, something to offer Jesus to use for his glory. We're all that boy. We all have at least a paltry barley loaf, maybe a couple of small fish. We have minds with ideas. We have hearts of love. We have tongues that can speak or they can sing, and they certainly can pray. We all can pray. And we have hands and feet that we can move and we can act, and we can do something for the kingdom of Christ and for the good of another. We have something to share. And this little boy in the text, he just came humbly before the Lord. And that was another thing we heard in the testimony here this morning. Nicole said, I've learned to daily humble myself. And those are words of wisdom for all of us. Be like that little boy and just be humble before the Lord. Share what you have to be used for others. And Jesus will bless it. So class, as you're confirmed this morning, not knowing exactly what's next in your life, we're going to pray, and we're going to pray that God would just root your faith, ground your faith, establish your faith, what you've developed over the last six months so that you will get settled to be fed, so that you will be established, find yourself a group, a local church that you'll be established in. And we'll pray that you're always willing to be used by God. And that whatever you have, you offer it to him and he'll, he'll bless it. And we're going to look forward to your future. I want to invite you, class, to come to these altars to prepare for our, our time of prayer When we were watching the video this morning, it was uh, Lisa Taylor that said, we're all not in the same place at our walk. No, we're all not in our same place. All these students here, they're at a different place, but they have taken this time over the last six months to learn more, to develop their relationship more with Jesus. And they have a faith They have a faith in them, and that's the faith that we want to pray about this morning as we pray that that faith gets really rooted and established. Before we pray, I want this class to let you know about their faith. I want them to tell you what they believe because it's that belief that we're going to pray on that it always, always stays rock solid in them. So class, I would want to invite you. I want to invite you to turn around and face uh, the congregation here. And I want you to give the best declaration to them about what you believe.
Amen. Amen. Now we're going to pray, and we had uh, 15, and we're missing just one this morning, and that's uh, Craig Belknap, and Craig was in the video, and he was the one who said, I finally finished something. We're going to make sure Craig finishes, okay? These things happen from time to time, and he, you know, the brother had some shoulder work done, and uh, so he couldn't make it today. But that's all right. We will make sure we confirm them. We have Pat Milburn here this morning. She concluded our previous class, so she's here this morning to be confirmed with us because uh, sometimes situations are such that we miss it, but we are always willing to pray. So we're going to pray this morning for these that are at the altars. I want to invite our presbytery of elders and ministers, if you would come please now and... uh, Put yourself uh, before each of these that you'll pray for. And congregation, as we pray, I just invite you to join us. I want you to also just pray with us as we, as hands are laid on each one of these, that the Holy Spirit indeed does a work, that the Holy Spirit roots and firmly establishes the faith of all who are here. Let's pray. All right, class, if you would kneel and we'll pray. Heavenly Father, God, we know that your presence of your Holy Spirit is with us this morning. We feel a tangible presence of your Spirit, Lord, and we are praying right now that as hands are laid on these students, Father God, in the name of Jesus, your Holy Spirit would do a work on their hearts and their lives. God, that you would root, ground, and establish their faith. They have spent time learning of your word, developing a relationship with you. And Lord, my God, you have begun a good work in them. We trust it and we know it, Lord. And we pray that you would see that work through in each and every one of their lives. God, that they would be like trees, planted by the rivers of water, roots going down deep, fruit developing, leaves and fruit developing, Lord, that will not wither, Lord, that would stay strong. Lord, my God, if any wind of trial, tribulation in life comes along to bend, to to put a a pressure on any one of these, God, that they would stay true, that their anchor would truly hold in Jesus Christ. Lord, that they would look to you and your word for direction, for guidance. Lord, that they would truly come to know your word and to live it out solidly, Lord, and to have a desire to give it to others. God, we pray that that Holy Spirit of the living Jesus Christ would do that work in their hearts and their lives right now. God, we trust you and we love you. We know that what is next in their life, we can't see, but you do, God. And whatever it is, Lord, that you'd open up doors of opportunity, that you would expose talents and gifts in these folks that they didn't know they'd have. God, that they would be used as lights for the kingdom of God, Lord. May they be used as witnesses of Jesus Christ in their workplace, in their neighborhoods. Lord, if they are at any kind of educational institution or taking a class, may they share the knowledge of the Lord our Savior Jesus Christ with others. Lord, wherever it might be, if it's a casual thing, if it's a deep and serious thing, let the light of Jesus Christ shine through each of them, Lord. May the faith that they just declared before this congregation well up inside them when they need it. Holy Spirit, give them the words to say. And Lord, we will look forward to what you're going to do. We know that you have 
a plan for each of them, Lord, and we trust you. And into your hands, we commit it. Lord, we commit their lives. We commit their souls for this great work to be done, Lord. So root them, ground them, establish them, and hold them firm upon the rock that is Jesus Christ. And Father, we ask all these wonderful things. We ask all these great favors in his name, the name of Jesus. Amen and amen.